Hi, this is Tamika Kasten-Miller, and you are listening to Think, Flow, Grow. At the end of this and every episode, you will find a meditation, so stay tuned. Well, hello there. I hope you guys are doing well today. Um, I'm excited to be recording this episode outside. I've been talking about um, being in nature. And so being out here has me feeling some sort of way, you know, just enjoying the view, enjoying listening to the birds, and so you may be able to hear that. Um, You may even be able to hear the pitter-patter of my dog's feet. Um, We'll see if that happens. And speaking of nature, you know, I wanted to speak to human nature. Um, I was listening to a video that a fellow yoga instructor recorded, And essentially, it was his explanation of why he has a no-touch policy. So essentially, he recorded about 10 minutes on why he does not touch any of his students. He doesn't give hugs. He doesn't touch them at all. And um, it's really interesting because this this video um, happened about three weeks after I read a comment by a student of mine um, who actually had mentioned how she has avoided a lot of um, yoga situations because everyone hugs one another and she doesn't like hugging and so she doesn't feel comfortable being in those situations because she doesn't want to have to be the person who doesn't like being hugged. So I thought it was really interesting that the timing of of both of these comments. But with this one, there were some good points that he made, which, which were, you know, that, you know, he did not want to, you know, ever be in a situation in which someone could interpret something about his touch that wasn't what he was intending that uh, a misinterpretation of touch can lead to a, a, you know a, a getting fired it can lead to the, de- the destruction of a career and I do know this to be true because this happened to someone who is very important to me where um where uh, touch was misinterpreted and it just completely um, spiraled into something that it was not. And so I know that these things happen. Um, however, that happened, the, the person who's close to me was a woman and the person who misinterpreted the touch was, was a gentleman. So, you know, just so we're aware these misinterpretations can happen with anyone. Where I took a lot of issue was that um, this instructor said that 
well, there were a couple of things. One is that he was an attractive guy and that he did not want for anything to be misinterpreted. Um, and so his reasons for not touching people were about him instead of about the student. And that was one issue I took. I'll explain why soon. And then the, the other issue, the bigger issue that I had was that he explained that in yoga, uh, a lot, in his words, a lot of people come to yoga with trauma or damaged and they come to yoga to cope with that trauma or that damage. And because of that, a lot of things can't, we're, yoga teachers are dealing with people who are informed by these traumas and by this, this damage. So essentially, um, we are being entrusted with the well-being of damaged people. Okay. First of all, many of you, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I do not like the guru perspective. I think that a lot of people who consider themselves to be gurus and who other people consider to be gurus have done a lot of damage in the world, just period. Not just um, yoga gurus, just gurus in general have done a lot of harm in the world have done a lot of, of long-term harm. And I think that anyone who gets super caught up with having a, a slew of sycophants is in danger of, of being that person and doing, doing harm in one way, shape, or form. I think that this perspective of um, people coming to the practice are inherently da damaged is bullshit. I think, first of all, everyone has trauma. Every single person in the world has trauma, has had a trauma, whether that be the death of a loved one, whether that be abuse, whether that be, you know, that first time that someone dismantled what you thought about yourself because they, they called you this, that, or the other. Every single person has experienced a trauma, some small, some large. So every single person, every human is walking around with those traumas, which this person admitted. However, that is not everyone comes to yoga to cope with that. And I think using yoga to cope with things is, is also kind of an interesting way of looking at things. I mean, realistically, everything that everyone says is a projection from their own inner life, right? So clearly this person has had either an accusation in the past or has had some sort of inappropriate touch in the past. So I get and can give license to some, you know, or give some leeway because I, I realize that everything that's being said is a projection. However, if this is your projection and you're the yoga instructor, then this is problematic. You are telling me that you think that every single person that walks into your class, A, is damaged and B, is there to be fixed for that damage. And then, so who are you, the person to fix them? Are we in the business of fixing people? So yeah, that is a problem. Um, 
you know, I remember coming to yoga in 2001 and I absolutely was coming to yoga for a good stretch. At that time, I was just, you know, feeling a little uh, wonky. I was, you know, a dancer, um, not, not a professional or not a um, trained dancer. I was a street dancer, salsa dancer. And, uh, and, you know, and, and dancing salsa and moving on your hips, you know, you need, you need some love on your joints. So I came to yoga to do that. And then, uh, and, and that happened with the home practice and I felt really good. And then I remember later I, uh, realized, you know, 2001 was really before anyone realized that you could lose weight doing yoga. Um, it was really just looked at as a way to connect to your body and a way to get a good stretch. It wasn't until later that people started realizing that, you know, you can really lose weight by doing yoga. So of course I did what a lot of people do and that was find hot yoga. And then I started, you know, approaching it for that reason, like, Hey, you know, I can lose weight and I did. Um, but certainly, you know, it was, it was great being in, being able to see how my body was changing, developing, and also mass was being lost. So, um, it, it never occurred to me to that, that, that people would, uh, all of the different reasons why people would come to yoga, because frankly, I wasn't concerned with why other people were coming to yoga at that time. I was just the student. Now, going through yoga teacher training, I did realize that there are a lot of people who have had some things in their past, um, who, you know, for example, there are people who, um, have struggled with addiction and then they, uh, find yoga as, as, a, a new way of discovering their body and sensations in the body. And in the process of that, you know, release their, um, relationship with whatever was their addiction. Now I will say that sometimes that goes into, you know, yoga is the new addiction. I mean, we all know that that can happen. We all know that addictions can shift and, you know, if you're going to have one, then Hey, yoga is a good one. Um, but certainly there are people for whom that is their truth, you know, which is, which is fine. But so going back to, <laughs> This presumption and, and using this as a, as a way of, of not touching someone. So another thing that this yogi said was that, well, I'm in this era of me too, I do not want to be falsely accused of anything. And then he said, uh, you know, he's here for me too. He's, he's down for the movement, but in any movement, there are always people who take advantage of it and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Men do better. If this is how you feel, um, just do better. Full stop. Number one, do better. Um, you know, if you are touching in a way that feels, that makes me feel that I am uncomfortable or what have you, there are so many things that are going to signal that to you way before I say something. And this is one of the things that we are called to do as humans is see one another. It is so easy to see whether or not someone wants 
to be engaged by you, just look at their proximity to you. If you walk closer to someone and they step back, they are telling you, I don't want you to come any closer to me. You are in my space. Now, I, uh, an episode seven, I believe, was my episode with River Davis, and we talked about consent and how consent is something that we are always associate with sex, but consent is also something that we should be considering at all times. You know, do I have the consent to um, engage with you, hug you, all of those things? And I believe that as humans, we have a natural desire to be touched as well as to be seen. And it is the boundaryless people who engage with others or who impose themselves onto others that then create this unnatural response to touch, which is no, do not touch me because I've been touched in a way that, that did not use my consent and that was inappropriate and that did make me feel bad. And of course, that this goes all the way up to assault and rape and all of those things. So when we are in the business of being just humans to one another, let's do a better job of, of creating and maintaining and respecting boundaries of how people do want to be touched without any presumptions. So this comes to this comment then was made at, um, one of my events, there was a lovely uh, yogini there who said that she loved being at yoga events because she had um, she could give hugs freely and they would be accepted there and there wasn't anything weird about them. She really loved um, you know being in these environments because people accepted hugs. And I immediately went to the student that I thought about the student that I have who made the comment about hating yoga events for that very reason. And so I started thinking about presumptions within groups um, with shared values or some sort of shared connection. Um, certainly, you know, when I'm in groups with yogis, yes, there are, there's a lot of hugging going on. I don't think that that gives license to stop seeing people and seeing whether or not they want you to engage with them we cannot be making assumptions about how people want to be touched at any given time, even if it isn't a group with shared values or connection. So I'll bring up my, my gay brothers. Um, and, uh, I have been, I always say I was raised by a pack of gay men. I have been around gay men longer than I have not. And that was my community for a long time. And one of the things that I have observed in the gay male community is, you know, the, the touch, the excessive touching um, amongst one another. And I, I really think that it is because, and of course, gay men chime in here, but I think that is because there's a sense of freedom and acceptance within the community that isn't there outside of the community. And so being able to touch one another and being able to be free with one another 
um, is 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 a sense of there's a sense of freedom associated with that. It's the same with you know bisexual people. In you know I am in that community, and certainly there is a sense of freedom and what you can say and how you can act when you know that you don't have to kind of choose a side or. Um, present as straight or present as lesbian or or whatever because the group that you're in accepts you for who you are and so there's this kind of shared set of assumptions that come to the table but what I have found is that there are also always always people within those groups who do not want to just be touched because you have a shared set of um a situational sharing, if you will, or shared connection. Um, there, there just there cannot be any assumptions when it when it comes to that because there's always someone who is coming with their own story, their own information, their own set of experiences that have informed how they want to be engaged. And by seeing a person just as a member of a group versus seeing a person as an individual, those assumptions can lead to big and oftentimes dangerous problems. So when we talk about um, all of these things um, within the yoga community, at, le at least, oftentimes that becomes that. Um, turns into a conversation on trauma-informed yoga. And um, I think that this is actually sometimes problematic because then we start to see certain behaviors as trauma-informed and others as non. I think that if we just start with the presumption that everyone has an experience that hasn't always been good, then we can begin to see people as individuals and we're not calling everything trauma for there is definitely trauma informed yoga and there are words that create triggers for people um for example um if i'm you know in a class and i'm a full-figured person and someone says suck your belly in that could create a trigger to my belly and belly fat and no matter how much i suck my belly isn't going in or whatever you know um certainly there are there are words that can trigger things there um I, two weeks ago when we had the the giant conversation um with with the brujas you know one of them mentioned um, the yoga teacher making a comment about um, placing her feet at the width of her hips and then she said your hips aren't that big and then all of a sudden um, you know my friend started thinking about the size of her hips you know and if that's your problem area or your perceived problem area then all of a sudden you're no longer in the yoga you're thinking about your hips you know so certainly there are things that that trigger and of course and there are other things like saying relax you know relax isn't a word that resonates well with veterans for example or close your eyes close your eyes uh, is not something that resonates well with people who have had um, violent traumas happen in their lives so there there are those things that are definitely there and they're not all the same for all people. So sitting there and saying, I'm not going to touch anybody because everybody who comes to my class is, is triggered if I do, 
give me a break. First of all, you're not that powerful. And secondly, again, what role then are you playing if everyone coming to your class is screwed up? I mean, if that's what you think, then you're on some level that your students are not. Come on. So this is something that I find that people do all the time. We project our issues onto other people's issues or we assign thoughts to those people like, well, she didn't make eye contact with me, so she doesn't respect me. Or making eye contact is not with someone of the opposite gender is something that doesn't happen in that person's culture, perhaps. I mean, it's not always about you. Sometimes it's not ever about you. Um, there, uh, you know, or, well, you know, he smiled at me, therefore he has a crush on me, or he just likes to smile. You know, there are all of these ways that we can assign thoughts to people and project our own bullshit onto other people that then becomes, you know, uh, an issue between the two people. For me and this particular teacher, it doesn't matter how attractive you are or not. I'm in there for yoga. I really don't care about what the teacher looks like when I'm taking the class um, because I'm a, I'm a yogi and I'm a yogi who is focused on doing the yoga when I take time out of my life to show up on the mat. I do not want to have to deal with all of your issues when I show up on my mat for yoga. And this is something that I believe that we addressed in, um, in that episode with the brujas as well. When, you know, sometimes showing up for people is just showing up and shutting up. You know, you might have a lot of things going on in your life or that are happening. I mentioned in an example before, and I can't remember if it was on an episode or if it was just commentary um, that I made on someone's IGTV, but about how I, I hate when... Um, uh, I show up to a class and they're like, I had such a hard day. Therefore, we're going to do hip openers in class. It's like, I'm not here for your hard day. I'm here for my hard day. It is the same as when we come to friends and it's like, look, you know, I just, I, I just need an ear right now. This is what's going on in my life. And then the person that you're talking to says, oh, I so understand. This is what's happening in my life. And it's like, I told you I needed your ear. You know? um, and so the, the person who's sharing is then met with uh, space having to be held now for that other person instead of um, just having someone who can just sit with them and listen. So these are ways that we can just be better uh, friends and, and humans to others. So that projecting your issues onto others becomes really problematic when you're in a position of power or you're in a position to be a guide or a teacher to someone. All of a sudden, all of the thoughts and feelings that you personally haven't dealt with are now um, being lived out through your students. Get it together, I would say. I am saying. So one thing that I really enjoyed about going through the process of teacher training, and I think the reason why it informs a lot of what I do, um, I, I went through it when I was 
you know, older and I've already been a yogini for around 15 years. So the way that, um, teacher training landed on me was a little different than someone who's kind of newer to the practice. But one of the things that I did like was that with my particular teacher training, or at least my early, my first one, it was very much an emotional palate cleanser and that we had to kind of deal with our own bullshit and the lies that we tell ourselves. And we had to deal with all of those things because even though they didn't explicitly say that, but because when we are in the business of holding space for other people, we do not need to be in the business of dealing with our own crap. I've said before, and I'll say again, when I finally set aside all of my own personal tapes and judgments about my life, my body, my blah, 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 and realized that the world was better served by me being in the act of service and the act of gratitude and the act of, uh, of evolving and, and vibrating higher and things like that without letting cultures, um, definitions of, of whatever inform my thoughts and feelings, which by the way, happened by practicing yoga, practicing meditation and all of those things. I was able to then change how I saw the world. And subsequently the way that I interact with the world is very different than someone who hasn't necessarily done that work. So there are a couple of things that um, come to mind as opportunities. The first one is what, and, and one of my mentors called, former mentor called, I am, you are. You know, essentially like this is who I am. This is how I feel. These are the set of assumptions that I'm coming from. This is who you are. This is how you feel. And this is where you're coming from. So whenever someone is telling me about their life or their story, their issues, which, which happens a lot actually, because of, you know, just being a good listener and being, um, a teacher to many, um, by being able to just listen and acknowledge what that person is saying without being in the business of trying to fix or trying to resolve or any of that, but just listening by saying, okay, what I'm feeling is irrelevant in this moment. Everything about this conversation has to do with you and, and you are where you are. And I am who I am just listening and being an observer, just holding space for you. Keeping that in mind, whether or not a person says is talking about the death of a parent or um, their child going away for, to school for the first time, you know, these are things that I have experienced and I don't have to go into my experience in order to hear that person's experience and hold space for them. There's also the another thing to be thought about, and that is the false equivalence of having boundaries being a lack of contact. That is not true. If you have boundaries, like I am in the teacher role and you are in the student role, and I will not allow for there to be any crossing of boundaries between, you know, what we do with one another or what have you, that is fine. And that doesn't mean that you cannot touch someone. Touching is such a basic, basic need for humans. If we 
if I cannot touch you in a way that is affirming and that is seeing you for who you are and that is respectful, then I have work to do on my own. That has nothing to do with that person. Now, if that person just does not want to be touched, that's fine. But if I have an issue touching people because I cannot touch them appropriately, then I need to do that work. And so if someone is listening to that, who somebody is listening to this who needs to hear that. Do your own work and learning how to respect people's boundaries and touching them in appropriate ways. Putting out a hand and asking someone else's hand to go into yours is not a sexual situation. It is not an invitation and it is nothing more than an acknowledgement of you as another human being in a respectful way. And if you see it in some other way, do your work. A hug is neither an invitation nor is it an acknowledgement of your attractiveness. A hug is simply two hearts coming together and an embracing of two humans acknowledging the other person's existence by bodily contact or heart contact or hand contact, depending on the type of hug. If you have issues experiencing hugs or giving hugs that mean that that's your issue. Do your work. That is not because people are coming to you damaged. That is because you are coming to people damaged. And further, you know, seeing someone gives you the opportunity to truly see what it is that they are wanting from you. You know, see if that person wants or invites a hug from you. For me, when I, when I go in for a hug, First of all, I don't go in for a hug unless I truly know that person and I know that they want hugs. I open my arms, I bring my shoulders back a little bit, and I either non-verbally or verbally say, can I give you a hug? Or are you a hugger? That is the way that that works. And it, it is fine. I also think that because people don't see me as a predator, or as having weird rapey vibes, then that's probably the reason why they've never said no. I've never had a no to that question. And I think that it is the way that I engage with people is having seen them and in a way that is respectful and loving without giving them weird, weird vibes. Like that's on you. So this brings me to the yogic concept of Asteya actually. This is the concept of non-stealing and why what I think about non-stealing as related to this topic. Well, because we are in a culture of people who have stolen from one another, who steal people's hugs, love, sensuality, personality, who steal people's attention, who do not get consent for touching others, who do not ask for permission to engage with others. There is such an imposition of, of people's wills onto the other that Asteya definitely applies here. The yogic concept, and actually this is much bigger than, than just a yogic concept, 
this is actually, Asteya is considered one of the five major vows of Hinduism and Jainism. And, and essentially it is, it is, again, about non-stealing. Um, the, in the Yoga Sutras, essentially, they say, to one established in non-stealing, all wealth comes. Um, and essentially, that means if you're not in the business of taking for others, if you're not in the business of taking what's not given, or if you're not in the business then of stealing, stealing time, or, or stealing attention, or um, touch that is not being offered to you, then it will be freely given. And as a yogi, I believe that we should all be in the work of practicing the eight limbs of yoga and actually taking on these, these practices um, by deconstructing how we have, how culture has told us that life should work, and then by constructing a more beautiful, equitable, and respectful way of moving about the planet and the world and with one another. So if we are firmly established in non-stealing, then we don't even have to worry about, um, about not gaining consent because we would never go in without asking that question first. And this is something that we truly need to learn in an age in which we are um, actively looking for validation and love and affirmations through social media because that's how social media is set up. So whether or not you mean to, this ends up happening. And, um, and, and this is why, in my opinion, joy, peace, these things are on the decline because if the need for affirmations are constant, then that turns into a stealing situation. And the, the ancient yogis would say that if we are stealing, then, the, then we, we, we can't be in joy and peace. So, especially for instructors, if we're practicing the eight limbs of yoga, this is a non-issue. So if it's an issue for you, practice more and teach less. And also, if another, and if that doesn't even work for you, let's say that you are theoretically practicing, then there, like two, two um, aphorisms later is Yoga Sutra 2.33 in which the ancient yogis say, when disturbed by negative thoughts, cultivate the opposite. So let's say that you are, like you're like, oh, I'm really bothered. I don't want to, I don't feel comfortable like touching this person's hand or I don't feel comfortable asking for a hug. You know, the ancient yogis would say if, if, then cultivate the opposite. So maybe that is your work then to change your relationship with those feelings. And I, my question is always why? 
like get curious about that. Like what's really going on that comes between you and this situation. So I realize this is kind of a rant actually more so than it is anything else, but it really is, I think the work of all people to listen to people from where they are for men to not use the me too movement to be so overprotective that they refuse to engage with, with women and for, for them to refuse to see women as something other than people who would take advantage of them. I think that's a really damaged person's perspective. Not everyone wants you like that. <laughs> not all women want men. Not all women want anybody. Some people just want to live and that doesn't rely on the attention of anyone. And that can be the exact same person who wants to go in for a hug. And if you are a hugger and you hug everyone else, but you're not willing to hug your yoga students, get curious about that because something ain't right. That's all I'm saying. And I think that's all I have for today. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts about this. Really want to hear from you on it. I'd love to hear about your experience with people doing things that felt like stealing from you and how you handled it. Oh, and also I do want to say one thing that, you know what, as humans, we do get to actually speak our truth as well. So if someone does try to go in for a hug or touch you in a way that you don't like, I say, tell them, I say, tell them straight up, you know, just like, I don't want you touching me in that way, or I'm not a hugger or I'm good or take a big step back and let that person maybe see a bigger response that hopefully that person listens to. So yes, please tell me your thoughts on this one. Email me at Tamika at Asheyoga.com. Um, you can direct message me on the gram. I'm diva underscore transcending. And you can also message me through Facebook at Ashe Yoga. So lots of ways to connect. And I definitely would love to hear your thoughts on this one. And also if you are the yoga teacher, <laughs> about whom I'm speaking, feel free to comment, contradict, whatever you're thinking, but know that I think that you are, you're really wrong on this one. You're really, really wrong. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you will join me back next week on Think, Flow, Grow. Come to a comfortable seat or lying down position. Begin noticing your breath. And if you're still getting comfortable, take time to pause this recording to really get to a place of comfort. And notice the onset of your breath 
Notice its depth. Bring your breath into your chest. Begin to notice the rise and fall of your chest, or perhaps even the movement of your shoulders as you bring it into this chest space. Now bring your breath into your torso, the space between your belly button and your heart. As you inhale, notice ribs expand away from one another. And on your exhale, notice the ribs come back together. Feel for expansion of your ribs and the rise and fall of your inhalation and your exhalation. And now bring your breath into your low belly. Notice your belly rise and the pelvic floor being pressed down on your inhale. On your exhale, pelvic floor rises again. Take a full belly breath in, pelvic floor presses down. And as you exhale, the pelvic floor comes back to a natural state. Continue breathing in this way. And now attempt to breathe in a way that fills all of those areas. Chest rises, ribs expand, pelvic floor presses down. Fill the entire middle body with breath. And as you inhale, the entire body expands like a balloon. And as you exhale, it deflates. And keep noticing this feeling of expansion and space in the body. And now bring your awareness to your low belly again. Behind this space is all of your reproductive organs. In the sacred area where life can be created, where the seeds of life are housed. This space is also your space of creativity. The sacral chakra houses our creativity, sexuality, sensuality, intimacy. Bring an awareness to your breath, giving your breath a color, orange. Begin visualizing the color orange in your low belly area. Every inhale, 
the orange grows more vibrant. And as you exhale, expands from front to back. And here, acknowledge all of what you would like to create. What are you creating for yourself right now? What would you like to create, but you haven't yet been able to bring to fruition? And since this in your low belly, acknowledge all of the parts of you that desire, acknowledge desire. Begin to see yourself as a sexual and sensual human being. Acknowledge your ability to experience life through the senses. To acknowledge life through touch, taste, smell hearing, sensing, seeing. Acknowledge any areas in which maybe those senses aren't as present or accessible, yet still being able to sense and experience life in a visceral way. What is your favorite smell or taste? And bring that sensation into your mouth, into your nostrils now. And fully experience what it is that you desire Acknowledge now your sexuality. You may have feelings that come up about your sexuality as a part of a system of constructing what is good or bad. Acknowledge those feelings without any type of emotional connection, just acknowledge them. Notice those feelings when they come up. And acknowledge yourself as a sexual being. Acknowledge your sexual desire as a natural and human part of you. 
or lack of desire. Whatever resonates with you authentically, acknowledge that now. From this same space in which we create relationships, art, music, belly laughs, From this same space, we also experience the interaction with abundance. And there's an abundance of beauty and life and love to be experienced through the senses. There is an abundance of all that life has to give in its many and different ways without the need to take what is not being offered. Come into a time, bring into your mind's eye a time in which you took what wasn't being offered. And see that play out. See that in your mind's eye. And ask for healing for that moment and that experience and forgiveness. Take a full inhale and really feel that experience. And on your exhale, let it go back into the ground, back into the Earth's intelligence, to be absorbed by Pachamama, to be absorbed by that which is bigger than you. And now bring into your mind's eye a time in which something might have been taken from you without your consent or your permission. And give yourself an opportunity to experience healing for that. What do you say to that person who took from you? And say it. And what do you say to yourself in that moment? How do you nurture yourself in that moment? And give yourself love and nurturing in that moment in which something was taken from you.
And on your next exhale, allow for that moment to be released. Now bring into your body a sense of gratitude for having released today. Fill gratitude, fill your entire body. A bodily experience with gratitude fills you an acknowledgement of having released what you needed to release today, for having received healing And feel that healing so deeply that it becomes a part of you and it becomes truth. Express your gratitude for this healing. And also express gratitude for having enough, for living in abundance, in an abundant world that provides your needs. Acknowledge yourself that you are enough and perhaps even say to yourself, I am enough. Perhaps say to yourself, I have enough. And give gratitude for being and having enough. for being a perfectly formed creation, for being an important part of the bigger picture. Acknowledge all of the miracles that had to happen for you to be living this experience right now, in this time, right now, as you are right now. beautifully and wonderfully made and enough and feel this sense of abundance and joy fill your entire body from your hair follicles all the way to your toenails take that full body inhale and exhale with sound. Ha. Be in creation using sound. Take another full deep inhale into your belly. Exhale. Ha. Draw in another breath. And as you exhale, begin to sense your fingers and your toes. Sense the connection of your body touching the ground or your chair, the clothes on your body. Begin to wiggle your fingers and your toes to reanimate. And just before coming out of your meditation, 
acknowledge that you give yourself permission to be new, to be fully emboldened with your desires and your adequacy to live in the knowledge that you are enough. Give yourself permission to live in that way without the need to take more than what's being offered. And perhaps say to yourself, I am enough. Bring your hands to Mandala Mudra. Left hand settles into your right hand and the thumbs touch one another. The circular pattern, bring it right in front of your low belly. And acknowledge your sense of wholeness, adequacy, abundance with all of the gifts that have been given to you that they are all enough and that you are enough. And when you're ready, begin to open your eyes and acknowledge your new way of being and how you interact with the world after this moment is an active act of creation. May it be light. It is always my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. You've been listening to Think, Flow, Grow. This is Tamika with Asha Yoga. I'd love to hear your feedback and would love to hear any topics that you'd like for me to address. Feel free to email me at tamika at ashayoga.com. Also, you can go to that website to find out upcoming workshops, retreats, and events in your area.